Hello and welcome back, or welcome for the first time, to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett. I am a child therapist who lives and works in Asheville, North Carolina, and this is a podcast dedicated to play therapy, coming at it from a child-centered perspective. And today on the podcast, I want to chat about living a child-centered life and what that means. I, you know, as therapists... We can often be pigeonholed or grouped together with other medical professionals, right? Like we use diagnoses from the DSM um, in order to be able to treat children with insurance in many cases. And diagnosis is viewed through a medical lens, which means that we can often view what we're doing in that same vein, right? Like some people go to doctors for their physical bodies and then go to therapists for their emotional and intellectual health. And there's certainly another way to view what we do that's not medicalized, that's more in line with us as healers. People experience things in life. People experience dynamics in life. People struggle in the world. People have bad things happen to them and have difficulty readjusting and feeling whole and not afraid or not sad or not angry after they've experienced things that they didn't like. And in that context, our role is more as healers than it is about simply being another member of the medical professions. And that's how I view things, more or less. Not that interested necessarily in a diagnosis, unless it helps me understand the child that I'm working with better than I did before. If it's simply a label to put on them that captures their experience but doesn't actually illuminate them anymore as a person or provide any additional directions for how treatment or therapy or healing should progress, then I'm not that interested in it. Because I do see the work we do as healing work, and people have been doing healing work in various cultures throughout time. Healing is something that's often been in the spiritual realm in history. Healing is something that people have been concerned with as human beings, probably for as long as we've had emotions. I mean, I say all that without having a whole lot of facts to back up what I'm saying, so take that with a grain of salt. But it is the perspective that I'm coming at this podcast with, because let's say you are a spiritual leader of some kind, say you are a priest or a, you know, an imam or a, you know, you're leading a synagogue and you're a rabbi and those type of people we expect to embody the principles that they preach outside of services, they're not, they're not one person in church and one person outside of church. They're not one person at mosque and another person outside of the mosque. They're the same person in all of those different contexts. And they're expected to follow the same rules and principles because there is this higher structure, this religion, that they believe is how the world operates. And it would seem hypocritical for them to operate in the world in any other way besides by those principles. And I don't think it's crazy to say that as therapists, we can fall in a similar boat, right? Which isn't to say that if we're parents and child therapists that we're always perfect parents. No one is perfect. A religious leader is not always perfect, as we well know. 
uh, all professionals are subject to being human beings with struggles and vices and all the rest of those things. And so it's not to say that as child therapists or as play therapists that we necessarily are the kind of people who are wonderful to children and the best possible version of ourselves in our families all the time. I do think it's fair, however, that if we believe certain things as child-centered therapists, and we believe in those things because they are healing, and we believe that it is important for a person to experience life in a certain kind of way inside of our playrooms because we believe in their inherent ability to be resilient and whole and assertive and to move through things, that we also embody those principles outside of sessions to the best of our abilities because we believe in those things. And we believe in those things about the human experience on the planet. We believe it about the human spirit. We believe it about the heart inside of every individual and the mind inside of every individual. We have beliefs about how we believe that human beings heal and move and function as individuals and in communities and in families on the planet Earth. Which makes it sound an awful lot like a religion when we put it that way. And then if we are someone who is embodying that religion in our professions, it's not unreasonable to say that we should abide by those same principles in our personal lives as well. And the question is then, what are those principles that we are abiding by? The first one that comes to mind is that we believe that each person has a fundamental right to their emotional experience, and we have a trust in each person to be able to move through their emotional experience. In session, what that looks like is that we do not try to take children's emotions away from them, whether that's anger, fear, sadness, whatever. We allow them to have it, we make space for it, we name it, and we trust. We trust in that child's ability to gain a deeper relationship to their experience by having it, to move through their experience by having it, to not block them at all inside of their experience. And that translates to life outside of session, both with children and with adults. It can mean that we're accepting of people where they are. It can mean that we don't try to rescue people from what they're feeling. We allow them to feel it. We provide the opportunity to support that person, but we do not force support onto people. We name what a person is experiencing when we're with them, whether in session or out, if we're trying to be in a certain role, without an expectation that they do something with that and without any expectation that they should be feeling anything different than what they're feeling. We trust in the human spirit to move through things. We hold back from interpreting experience in conceptualizing experience, because we don't want to hold people to those perceptions and those conceptualizations. We believe that each person, however small or young, is the only person capable of moving through something, that we can't force anything onto someone, we can't force perspective onto someone, we can't force feelings onto someone, and we believe that when a person is whole and connected, that they want to be in harmony with their environment. That is another thing that we believe. We don't think that morals are something that we need to force onto children or to people. We don't believe that we have anything necessarily to teach anyone. We believe in the individual value of the human spirit and the human spirit's desire 
to live a meaningful life and to be connected to others, and that that's something that doesn't need to be taught. It's inherent. And further, if harmony is not happening between us and other people inside or outside of session, we don't blame the person who is experiencing anger or fear or sadness or feeling excluded or feeling like something is unfair. We can take a more holistic approach to the situation. We can see their feelings as coming from the situation, as their experience of the situation, that they're not ready to be connected to us. And perhaps in this system that we've created, we've created a system that isn't working for some members of that system. We believe that people's emotions are valid, which is not the same as saying that any of us as individuals aren't capable of, say, overreacting to a situation, to having an inclination due to our life experiences towards some emotions like anger, sadness, fear, whatever, that aren't coming from the present situation. But then we also believe in that person's individual ability to be able to work through those emotions. But that that we can't force that healing on them. That healing will come when they have the space to work through it. As child-centered play therapists in the world, we respect children. We respect children's feelings. And that can be a radical thing to do. I used to work in the school system and have a lot of respect for teachers. It's a hard job. It's not a job that I would want. It's a job that I've tried in limited capacity before. It's tough to get a room full of 30 children to do something that they don't want to do and to do that in an empathetic and compassionate way while also uh, keeping the system moving. So a shout out to those teachers out there who are able to do that. But something that I found remarkable while working in the schools is that there would be some classrooms where the students felt really connected to and respected by the teacher, where they felt cared about by the teacher, you know, regardless of, you know, how good they were at learning the material or how well behaved they were in the classroom. And those students, you know, even though they might not like school because very few children do, which, you know, feels worth listening to as adults when we're deciding how we structure education for our children, but that's a separate matter, perhaps. But, you know, those students did feel connected to that teacher or those teachers who uh, embody some of those principles in the way that they are with their students. There were other classrooms I would see where students would often feel like their teacher didn't like them or wasn't nice to them or didn't respect them or was angry at them most of the time and they lived with some fear of their teacher. And fear is a pretty effective uh, way to get people to do things because it effectively disconnects them from their own emotions and lets them know that their emotions don't really matter. What matters is submitting to these standards and they're afraid if they don't submit to the standards something bad will happen to them, which is essentially how school is structured to begin with. But there are some classrooms where that dynamic is more pronounced than others. And so you could have a classroom with 30 students who all, to varying degrees, are living in fear and don't feel respected. Now, in general, that's just kind of the way things go. I mean, we've decided as a society that it doesn't matter if 90 to 100% of students don't like school, that we've decided that school is good for them anyway. Which you can probably tell from the way I'm talking that I feel that that is uh, 
questionable that it could be worth modeling school in such a way that uh, naturally flows with a child's inherent curiosity about their experience of life. Children often have lots of questions about the world, and those questions might not be answered because we're, you know, either uncomfortable answering them or feel like, ah, those aren't actually the things you should know. You should know these other things. And then we don't use a lot of the things we learn in school later on. But I'm getting onto a school tangent. What I'm trying to say is, and school is a great example, that a whole school full of students may not feel that that's a good place for them to spend their time, but we send them there anyway. Or a whole classroom full of students may feel disrespected by their teacher, but they still have to go every day and they don't have a lot of uh, avenues for recourse or they're not really asked. There's not an exit interview at the end of second grade where they take the students aside and say like, hey, how was your teacher this year? Um, How did you feel in there? And then we don't have a way that those answers are taken seriously. As someone who is child-centered, I find that to be incredibly unfortunate. If a child is having a tantrum, we can either view that tantrum as, oh, this child needs to submit to the standards that are being enforced on them in this moment. And so the idea can be that this child needs to learn to be able to put their emotions to the side so that they are able to do what they're supposed to do, which good luck with that by the way. Um, sometimes that seems to work. A lot of times that uh, you can end up in a little bit of a power struggle that way. But I'm not even as concerned with like, what do we do with this child in that situation as with taking seriously the steps that led to that child becoming dysregulated. That's child-centered. It's not us saying, oh, they're just being overdramatic. Oh, they're just being entitled or, uh, you know, it's just the terrible twos, or they're moody teens, or they're, you know, like, whatever it is, that as child-centered therapists, we take those emotions seriously, and we would see those emotions as being just as valid as the emotions that the adults are having in that situation. And that's at the heart of being child-centered. At the heart of being child-centered is saying, Children's emotions are just as valid as adults' emotions. When a child is angry, there are reasons. When a child is sad, there are reasons. When a child is scared, there are reasons. And it is not the child's responsibility to not feel those things. We can say that there are times when it could be helpful for the child to move through their emotions. We can say the same thing for us as adults, that it can be helpful for us to move through our emotions, that sometimes we could be scared or anxious about something that's coming up. And it's helpful to be able to say, okay, I'm scared or okay, I'm anxious, but this is still a thing I want to do. I still want to have friends. I still need to go and do this thing. I still want to go out and be a person in the world. I'm not going to let my fear run my life. But the way through that is moving through my fear, acknowledging it, accepting it, moving through it, instead of trying to avoid it, instead of saying it shouldn't be there, instead of saying I'm a bad person because it is there. And it's that same principle that we apply to children. We apply the principle that when a child has emotions, they're valid. And therapeutically, Or in terms of their healing, maybe there are times to move through. Maybe there are times to, say, have them be accepted and they've got their foot down on this and they have it down for a reason. And maybe the structures surrounding that child aren't working for them and maybe aren't even working for anybody else either. And in that way, the child teaches us something about the world, teaches us a way that the world is affecting not just them, but all of us. Teaches us that... 
as adults, we could look at that and say, hey, I remember what that was like to be in that place, and it sucked, and it sucks for you right now too, and maybe it doesn't have to be that way after all. Being child-centered means being open to the possibility of learning from children. We take them seriously as people. And we can even take them more seriously than we take some adults. (laughs) We could say that an adult is locked into a system of doing things or has had their neuroses and repressed emotions hardened and then is being a little stubborn in the way that they feel like life should be. And that a child, hypothetically, is more connected to that space of harmony and wholeness and being able to move through. Children experience emotions differently than adults do. Children experience life differently than adults do. Children can be honest and direct in a way that as adults it's difficult for us. Children can ask us questions about the world that can make us feel uncomfortable and that's letting us know that there are parts of life that we find uncomfortable. That perhaps we're uncomfortable that the world is a violent place. Perhaps we're uncomfortable with sex and our sexuality and other people's sexuality. Perhaps we're uncomfortable with some of the standards and values that exist in the world. Perhaps we also don't really know why war exists or what happens after we die. Perhaps we're uncomfortable with passing on that uncertainty to a child. And so we pretend to be certain about things that we're not certain about. Perhaps we try to get them to avoid things or we don't answer questions just because we feel uncomfortable ourselves and we can't handle the reality that they're trying to connect us to. Being child-centered is being open to the idea that there are times when children are wise. And on a basic level, it's just taking them seriously as people and respecting their autonomy as people and respecting their experience as a person. Which let's let's hopefully not get that confused with giving children whatever they want. You can name for a child when you're struggling with them that a struggle is happening, that they're having emotions, that you're having emotions, and that this is still what's happening. That there are still boundaries, that there's still a structure, that there are still rules, and it is our responsibility as adults to hold the boundaries and structures and rules and safety. Being child-centered does not mean being walked over by children or by anyone. It does not mean being weak. It does not mean being dominated by children's emotions. It means being solid enough and strong enough to hold the child's emotions and to hold the situation, to hold the boundaries and to still have empathy, to respect their autonomy as a person and respect the emotions that they're having while also continuing to hold the structure of the space and being open to the idea that the child is right while also realizing that you're the final authority as the adult on what's happening here. But it also means that you're strong enough to take feedback from a child about a situation and to have your own judgment on that feedback and then to be honest about your own judgment with that feedback with the child and with yourself, to not be stuck in things, stuck in structures that aren't serving anyone. As child therapists, we're capable of all that. But it feels like something that can extend beyond our playrooms. There's some textbook read in school. I think it was by Corey and Corey, I guess, husband and wife. It's a theories textbook. And in the introduction of it, they were saying that a therapist's theory that they adopt is an extension of their personality. There are probably like literally hundreds of different theories that a person could choose to be a child therapist or a therapist. You could be, 
you know, young Ian and swimming in the unconscious. You could be a child center play therapist. You could be a directive play therapist. You could be doing CBT or TFCBT. You could be expressive arts. You could work with Santray. I mean, that list could just continue to go on and on and on. And what we choose to do says something about ourselves. It says something about the way that we believe that people heal. It says something about the way that we believe people evolve. It says something about the way that we believe that people are and how individuals, through therapy or otherwise, get to a place where they are whole, happy, connected in themselves. And as child-centered therapists, we have a concrete set of beliefs that we can live by and that we believe will make the world a better place for children and you know, for everybody else too. And that's all I've got for this episode of Playtime. Uh, thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, all of that good stuff. It helps out the show. If this feels like something that you would like to support, I've got a Patreon page that should be in the descriptions of the episode or whatever. And also, if you'd like to reach out to me for any reason, uh, you can reach me at barnettchildtherapy at gmail.com. That's Barnett, my last name, B-A-R-N-E-T-T, childtherapy at gmail.com. I love to hear from anybody who's interested in writing and uh yeah see you next time